Welcome to NSN Daily. Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio, Anthony Resnick, running things behind the scenes. Uh, plenty to kick around today. Uh, is Jane Orvell the candidate for a Power 5 job? Hmm? Reports seem to think so, so we'll get into that a little bit. Murray's mailbag is always a lot of fun. Are you a fan of pecan punches? I mean, if you're from Gardnerville, you've got so many great Basque restaurants. I don't know, man. Is Chris Murray a pecan fan? We're going to find that out next. Clark County has made a decision on sports and athletes and parents are probably not going to like it. And what does that mean for Reno? But first off, uh, uh, depending on the time that you're watching this show, Nevada will be taking on the University of San Francisco tonight. Six o'clock tip off is what it's scheduled for against the Dons. Uh, Chris, we broke down San Francisco a little bit on this show yesterday. Uh, guard oriented offense. They shoot the three and be scary that way. I hate three-point shooting teams. I hate teams that just rely on the three because they always seem like they're clawing back, clawing back, and or pulling away from you. Yeah, and a lot of it's just going to come down to how well San Francisco shoots those threes. We've already seen this season that they beat Virginia, a top-five team in the nation, and then they lost to UMass Lowell, which is a team that the Mountain West School should not be losing to. So when the three-pointers are hitting, they're very, very dangerous. They've averaged 13 made three-pointers in both of their wins, and when the three-pointers aren't falling, they could basically lose to anybody because they are so reliant on that ball. I mean, it's, it's really modern basketball. I mean, that's how a lot of teams – in the NBA are playing as well, but they even take it to a little bit, uh, you know, further degree with their amount. Uh, I mean, this is a team that shot 40 or more three-pointers in two of its four games. So you're going to see a lot of three-pointers and there's going to be some dry spells where Nevada goes on a run. And then there's going to be some points where, you know, they hit three or four in a row and they go on a little bit of a spurt. I think it's a good matchup for Nevada because Nevada has good uh, defensive length, has good perimeter defense, and they've always done a really good job of limiting the three-point shooting uh, percentage under Steve Alford these last two years. Now, some of that can be luck. Some of that can be actual skill. But um, that is definitely goal number one defensively for Nevada. It's just not to allow uh, this team. They're going to hit double digits threes uh, just because they shoot so many. If they get up toward 15, then you're probably in trouble uh, as far as the Wolfpack beat. They're going to hit double digits threes uh, just because they shoot so many. If they get up toward 15, then you're probably in trouble uh, as far as the Wolfpack being able to stay offensively with the Dunks. Now, I know you've gotten hit up uh, by viewers and readers a little bit about this back-to-back -back showdown with San Francisco, which you made a great point yesterday talking about how this is going to be the Mountain West season, where it's going to be back-to-back. -back. Literally, it's tonight, Wednesday, Nevada against San Francisco and Reno. But the difference is it's going to be played in San Francisco, or at least it's scheduled. It's not on San Francisco's schedule, which is perplexing to me that Nevada's got it and San Francisco doesn't have it. Um, but it's not Santa Clara County where everything's been shut down when it comes to sports. Niners, Stanford, uh, San Jose State. That is a purple zone, though. Are you concerned that, well, maybe the Dons just need to stay in Reno or take the bus ride home, then come back up and play up here? What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how this all works out. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Nevada does have the second game, which would be played on Sunday on its schedule, but uh, USF does not have it on its online schedule. Now, that could just be a typo or something weird going on over with their sports information, uh, you know, directives. But uh, it does seem a little bit odd just with the Santa Clara decision. As you mentioned, San Francisco, the campus is in a different county, um, and they have not paused sports in San Francisco County. But, um, you know, it would make sense maybe even just to stay in Reno and play on Friday, move the game up. Uh, you know, everybody thought that the Pacific game was going to start at six o'clock and that ended up getting pushed back to 630 on Monday. So, I mean, it's all play it by year at this point. I do think they'll end up playing both of those games and it will probably just be your traditional home and home series. But, uh, you know, a quality opponent. I mean, this is a top 
85 opponent on Ken Pomeroy's advanced metrics. I mean, this is a team that's going to be in contention to play in the postseason. And uh, you have to like what the Wolfpack has done so far, but the, the more difficult teams that they face, the better. This is a team that was finished uh, fifth in the preseason West Coast Conference Bowl as opposed to Pacific, which Nevada just beat, which was eighth. So a little bit of a ramping up of the schedule. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm writing my Mountain West basketball rankings right now, and Nevada's been as impressive as any team in the conference outside of San Diego State, which has beat UCLA and UC Irvine's and uh, knocking on the door of the top 25. But, uh, you know, the Wolfpack's gotten off to a really good start, and, and these are not going to be easy games, uh, whether they played at home or on the road. I mean, these are basically – equal team so you would expect maybe Nevada wins at home and then loses on the road but if the Wolfpack's able to sweep this series um, you know if this team was playing in the Mountain West it would be a top five team in the Mountain West San Francisco so a uh, really quality opponent and uh, you know it'll be fun to see if Nevada can keep up this momentum. Yeah it's not like Nevada's playing North Carolina it's not like Nevada's playing Arizona or, or anything like that but they're able to put together I don't want to say it's a quality resume in 2020 it's just hard to do that because it's been so limited but say Nevada runs the table in their preseason and then they beat USF twice. If they beat Grand Canyon and then San Diego, I mean, you've beaten everybody that's been put in front of you and you've done everything that you can do. So, I mean, building that resume and I'm not talking to think, I don't even want to think about NCAA tournament yet because I don't know what games are going to be played this weekend, but Nevada, I think has done a great job so far. And if they can I'll take one out of two from USF and you just start the season four and one, maybe five and oh, you, you've done a pretty good job of, of building a resume that, you know, at the end of the season, we'll see what it looks like. And that's the way it always goes, Chris, is that you think a quality win in November, you're like, man, this is going to look really good in March. And then that team stumbles and goes 11 and 20 or something like that. So, you know, who knows? Uh, three keys to the prediction. Let's get to it. Yeah, I mean, the first one we talked about is defending that three-point ball. Uh, San Francisco doesn't shoot it great, 33% from three, but they shoot it a ton. So that's something to watch out for. The other line, the charity stripe is a big one. That's my second key. You look at USF, they've shot 52 free throws. Their opponent has shot 120 free throws. That's an extra 17 free throw attempts uh, per game for USF's opponent. So they've had trouble getting to the foul line themselves, and then they've just fouled a ton. Uh, you get 17 extra free throws, you're usually going to win the game. So I think Nevada, as good of a three-point shooting team as it is, it really needs to attack the basket because there are not a lot of shot blockers on this team. They have pretty good size, but the Wolfpack should be able to get to the free throw line about 30 times. Grant Sherfield, in particular, the point guard, has done a good job of getting to the charity stripe. So that's a big one. And then the third one is win the bench points. These are two really good benches. Nevada's averaging 23 points per game off its bench. USF is at 20 points per game off its bench. They both have very similar players who come off the bench, both six foot nine uh, stretch power forward, Zane Meeks for Nevada, and then Dimitri uh, Runyi for uh, USF. He's averaging 12 and a half points, six rebounds a game. He's had a couple of double doubles. Both of them really like to shoot the three point ball. Uh, Dimitri's probably USF's best three point shooter. Uh, Trey Coleman has been fabulous for Nevada off the bench, averaging eight points per game. He's made 90% of his shots. That's not a typo, 90% of his shots. So that won't keep up. Um, but whoever has the better bench advantage in this game, uh, I think wins uh, outright. And I, and I am picking Nevada. I'm going 71 65 Wolfpack. I think the line right now is at three and a half points in favor of Nevada, so also picking them to cover. I just think their defense has been so good that I think they'll be able to neutralize USF's top threat, which is shooting that three-point ball. So I do like Nevada in this one, and then we'll see if they play on Sunday, uh, you know, what adjustments need to be made uh, and just how this game breaks down. But, um, you know, it should be a fun little two-game series. I am really curious to watch this game defensively as well. I think you're going to have a number of guards for Nevada that are going to be absolutely gassed at the end of this game because if you're playing defense the way Steve Alford wants you to play defense it's active hands it's staying with your guy it's being physical 
but being smart, anticipating, active hands in the lanes, and that sort of thing. Because this is one of those games that one or two turnovers that turn into points, turn into baskets, could be the difference in this one. But I like I like what you're talking about here. I think Nevada does cover, and I think they do win at home tonight at Lawler Event Center. Tip-off scheduled for 6 p.m. You can catch it on the Mountain West Network if you want to check that out. Uh, yes, people, we have been trying, and we're going to get to this in the mailbag. We are working on trying to get some of these games and broadcast them for you on Nevada Sportsnet. We'll have more details on that coming up in the mailbag. But uh, Nevada Sport, NevadaWolfpack.com, you can find the link there on Nevada's schedule to the Mountain West Network. It's a pretty good broadcast. You're actually getting basically the stream of what's being put on the scoreboard. So if you see an ad pop up, stuff like that, don't yell at anybody. That's what's coming off the scoreboard. So uh, that's we'll have uh, full coverage tonight at 11 with uh, Shannon Kelly anchoring our coverage there. But uh, coming up next here on NSN Daily, is Jay Norvell a candidate for a Power 5 job? Some reports seem to think so. And Carson Strong named to a pretty pretty uh, elite list of quarterbacks. That's next. Wolfpack football team uh, gearing up to play Fresno State at Mackey Stadium on Saturday. Fingers crossed that game's still on, uh, of course, the way things have looked. I mean, poor San Jose State was in Boise and the game was canceled and they had to just turn around and come back home. Hopefully stuff like that's not going to happen. Fresno coming out of COVID protocol. But uh, some interesting headlines, Chris, and this happens every few years. You know, I remember when Brian Polian was, oh, he's a front runner for Indiana, a front runner for Central Florida or South Florida. And now we're hearing Norvell for an SEC school for Vanderbilt, who is Vanderbilt's a train wreck right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, how much how much do you actually put stock into stuff like this? I really don't. Well, I mean, you had ESPN, you had CBS Sports, and you had Athlon all putting his name in there among the candidates. I don't know that that means that he's officially on the candidate list, but these are pretty well-respected journalists uh, who college cover college football. And it's easy to see why a school like Vanderbilt would be interested in Jay Norvell. I mean, he's done a really, really strong job with the Wolfpack after that rebuilding three and nine season, uh, you know, he's, he's put together a really good uh, program. And I think a lot depends on how Nevada closes this season. If they're able to get to a Mountain West championship game and win it, that certainly elevates his stock in the eyes of other schools. And I think the Vanderbilt thing kind of makes some sense because Vanderbilt doesn't spend a ton of money uh, on his program. So they've seen someone in Jane Orville who is still the lowest paid coach in the Mountain West with, uh, you know, an under average budget in the Mountain West, be able to, you know, put a team on the field. That's one of the better teams in the Mountain West. So can he go and do that uh, with the same limitations in the SEC? Obviously much more difficult, but they're going to want to try and find somebody who can kind of overachieve uh, the marketplace there. I mean, this is a team that's only uh, had three winning seasons since 1983. So it's, it's certainly the worst job in the SEC, probably one of the worst jobs in the Power Five. But on the other hand, Jay Norville's 57 years old. He had to wait a long time. Uh, well overdue uh, to just get his first head coaching job. So he might not be able to be quite as choosy if he does get a power five offer just because of his age. And typically you don't see 60 year old coaches become a first time power five coach. So, um, you know, I think there is some legitimacy to it. I think the big 10 and the big 12 makes a little bit more sense for Jay. Um, That's mainly where he's coached Wisconsin, Iowa state, uh, Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Nebraska. He's not coached in the SEC. So I think that's probably maybe a little bit of a demerit on Vanderbilt looking at him. I wouldn't be surprised if he did get an interview. I would be surprised if he eventually did get the job. But, you know, it's a good situation if you're a Wolfpack fan. I mean, this is what you want is for your coach to be doing good enough things for Power 5 schools, SEC schools to say, you know, we might be interested in hiring this guy. It sucks when it happens for sure. 
also kind of shows that Doug Newt's done a pretty good job hiring uh, coaches. I mean, he's made 11 hires so far at Nevada. Three of them already have been poached by Power Five schools. Uh, that'd be uh, Neil Harper, the swimming coach, Jay Johnson, the baseball coach, and obviously Eric Musselman. If a fourth one happens, I mean, you're hitting 40% basically on coaches elevating to that next level. I mean, that would be uh, not great for Nevada to lose a coach, but also there's a $2.5 million buyout tied to Jane Orville given the financial situation at Nevada. I don't think they would mind taking the $2.5 million even if they lost their coach. What kind of a salary do you think that Vanderbilt would throw at Jane Orville? Derek Mason, you know, was there for a while. He was an, a, an assistant at Stanford before that under Jim Harbaugh. I mean, he was making over $3 million a year. How much – what do you think that they would throw at a guy like like Jay? Yeah, I mean, their ballpark seems to be $2.5 to $3 million. Jay Norville is making $625,000 at Nevada right now. So people are like, you know, why would you take that job? You know, it's not a great job. You're probably going to get fired in a couple of years. You last four years, you just made $10 million. Yeah. Uh, you know, he just signed a five-year deal with Nevada that pays him a little over $3 million. Um, so that's why you take that job. And while it does look like it's a dead end job, you did see the coach before Derek Mason, James Franklin, go out there and win enough to become the head coach at Penn State. So you have seen be, uh, people be able to springboard up to that next level. I mean, Nevada is never going to be able to match the salary of a power five school, uh, even if it's not an SEC school. I think their argument in cases like this is always wait an another year and you'll get a better opportunity. That was basically the argument to Eric Musselman when he turned down the Cal job. Uh, the year before he ended up turning down or accepting the Arkansas job. So I think that would be the argument for the Wolfpack is look who you have coming back. Uh, you have Carson Strong, you have Romeo Dubs, you have Elijah Cooks, you have a good offensive line, you have these defensive playmakers, basically any senior on this year's team, you can bring back next year because of the NCAA waiver rule. So, um, you know, come back another year, do it over a full season, win 10 games, maybe win a Mountain West, and then you're not looking at a bad SEC school. Maybe you're looking at an average level uh, Big Ten school. Maybe Nebraska has an opening because they had to fire Scott Frost and you have a history there. I think that's the argument you make if you're a Wolfpack administrator trying to keep Jane Orville in the fold a little bit longer. I mean, just to break down the obnoxious salaries, and I'll say it, mm -hmm. it's obnoxious what coaches make in this, the SEC. Um, okay, even, okay, let's start off with Alabama's offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, makes $2.5 million a year. He's the coordinator. Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, 8.25 million. Ed Orgeron, go Tigers, $8.7 million. Nick Saban, $9.1 million salary. That's not counting any outside work he does. I remember when Barry Bonds signed that big first contract and people were starting to count down, all right, how many, what's he make per at bat? Nick Saban makes $73 a minute <laughs> in a 40-hour work week. He makes $175,000 a week. That's what the SEC invests in football. All right, uh, let's move on to something a little more pleasant than that. Uh, we don't talk about lists, watch lists, all that much on this show. But uh, when it comes to the Davey O'Brien list, the top quarterback in the country, it's narrowed down now to 35, and Carson Strong has made that list. Granted, against Hawaii, Nevada's offense changed dramatically. Their strategy was much different. But leading up to that, Carson has lived up to being one of those one of those quarterbacks. I, he may be a top 15 quarterback in the top 10, top or top 20, top 15 quarterback in the country. Yeah, I mean, I think he certainly deserves being the top 35. I mean, the semifinalists are the top 16. That comes December 7th. Um, I don't think I'm a voter on this list. I'm a voter on a lot of them. <laughs> I don't know which ones. Belitnikov I voted on this morning. I had Romeo Dubs third on my list of 10. But Carson Strong should be in that top 16. I mean, he's played spectacularly this year. You even look at the Hawaii game. 
he completed 20 of 25 passes. And I think four of the five incompletions, he was being pressured and he just threw the ball out of bounds. Like he almost didn't have an incomplete pass where he was trying to hit a receiver the entire game. And that's quote unquote, maybe his poorest game of the season. So he's been awesome this year. And if you would have looked at some of these quarterback lists entering the season, a lot of these lists had him, you know, ninth, 10th in the mountain West. And right now to me, He's the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year. That shows how much hard work he put in during the offseason, how much uh, study habits that he has to prepare for games. Um, this is a guy who's completing 71% of his passes. He's got almost 2,000 yards in six games, so more than 300 a game, uh, 16 touchdowns, uh, only two interceptions. So, yeah, he's been awesome. And it's crazy to think that he's only a sophomore. Like, realistically, if he wanted, because of that extra year that the NCAA gave all of these uh, fall student athletes, he could still be at Nevada for three more years. Now, I think he'll probably play his way out of that and become a draft pick before then. Um, but this is what he's doing now as a sophomore. Imagine what he'll be doing potentially as a senior down the road. And you want to have a special team. You want to have a special season that everybody remembers, like 2010 or maybe even 2005. You need an NFL quarterback. They had Colin Kaepernick in 2010. They had Jeff Rowe in 2005. You go back to the 1990s when they were able to make the FCS championship game. They had Chris Vargas, who played in the CFL for a long time. They have that quarterback right now. And that's the biggest piece you need to go out there and have those memorable seasons. So now is the time to strike and have those great campaigns because you don't always have an NFL quarterback in your backfield. Uh, let's get back to our good friend COVID who has affected another Mountain West game. And this one, I mean, San Jose State has come out and just absolutely blown people away with how well this team has improved. Their quarterback play has been very good. They're, 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 they're playing like a champion. And now they were supposed to host Hawaii in the Silicon Valley this Saturday. But now, because Santa Clara County is shut down, the decision was made to move this game to Honolulu, which to me makes – I mean, I'm not making the decision – I don't know why that you don't play at a neutral location in California. Make Hawaii make the trip. That's part of how this conference works, how the ebbs and flows of home field advantage versus being on the islands. The trip to the islands is brutal. It's not that easy to do, and it's really hard to win there. Uh, just your thoughts on San Jose State now having to pack up and go to Honolulu and play. Yeah, they haven't even been able to practice. So do they go out to Hawaii early to try and get in a couple of practices? And there's pretty strict quarantines uh, over on the island. I mean, it's a really tough situation for San Jose State. I will say that they did get an extra home game. They were supposed to play at New Mexico earlier this year, but New Mexico couldn't play at home. So they ended up playing that game in San Jose. So from that perspective, but obviously playing Hawaii at Hawaii is much more difficult than it would have been playing New Mexico at New Mexico. So it's a tough break for them. But, uh, you know, I think... It, it, it does even out. And when you look to the future, my biggest question is Nevada and San Jose State are supposed to be playing at San Jose uh, two Fridays from now. Where does that game end up being played? And almost certainly whoever wins that game is going to go into the Mountain West championship game. So, you know, for sure, the San Jose State doesn't want to have to play that game in Reno, but Santa Clara County is not allowing them to play home games right now. So that's a thorny issue coming up. Um, you know, even if San Jose State drops this game, they still control their destiny. If they beat Nevada, they'd be in the title game. So maybe that helped the Mountain West make that decision that, you know, it's not going to completely ruin their season if this does turn into a loss for them. Um, but, you know, it's you're making the best out of a bad situation. That's what 2020 is all about. And, uh, you know, San Jose State can't complain. I mean, it's, it's a situation that they couldn't control. They don't have positive cases. Uh, they didn't make the county decisions. So the lo local jurisdictions kind of did them wrong in this case, but um, you know, you can't complain about it. You got to go out there and, and beat a team in Hawaii that obviously is more than capable of beating you. Yeah. If, if San Jose state goes to the islands and beats 
Siobhan Cordero and and Hawaii, then that will be that will be my probably my most impressive win by by the Spartans so far this season because uh, Nevada just showed you go out there and you're rolling along and Hawaii can nip you in the butt either way. It'll be interesting to see what Hawaii does to try and uh, curtail that San Jose State offense if they do the same thing that they did to Nevada, basically rush three guys and drop eight. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. That should be interesting. I'm, I'll be entertained to to watch that one. Uh, you can watch it on an app. That's the only way you can see it here in the uh, on the mainland. It is on Spectrum Sports, but uh, you can catch an app and, and watch it for free. Coming up next here in NSN Daily, it's your questions and Chris Murray's answers. Murray's mailbag after the break. It is Wednesday. That means time for us to break out Murray's mailbag on this show. Every single Sunday, Chris will open up the mailbag on Twitter. That's at by Chris Murray. If you want to follow him on Twitter and he will take your questions and answer them on NevadaSportsNet.com. We switch it to a TV version of that column here on Wednesdays. Uh, Chris, the question I ask you every week, how many words? Uh, 5,295. I remember to look up this time. Uh, a lot of just sports questions too. Not as many like fun questions. Not not that sports aren't fun, but uh, it's a little bit easier doing the fun questions. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I know a lot of people wanted your analysis on the Hawaii game and uh, where does this basketball team sit? But yeah, the fun questions, mm-hmm. I picked the questions for this show, folks. I'll be transparent. The fun questions mm-hmm. make this show. So if you want to be on TV, uh, ask a fun question. Uh, let's start off with uh, a sports question. Scott the Merce, uh, Scott's been in the mailbag before. Uh, can Nevada still make the top 25 this year? He's talking football. Do they have to win out or can they still make it during the regular season? Chris, you and I agree on this topic. <laughs> Yeah, regular season, no. I mean, there's only two weeks left in the season. They're getting zero points right now in the AP Top 25, so that's not going to happen. But if they do win their last two games, Fresno State and San Jose State, if they do win a Mountain West championship, probably over Boise State, and then they do win a bowl game, uh, you know, probably the L.A. Bowl against the Pac-12 team, you're talking about, you know, four really, really quality wins. Uh, Nevada would certainly be ranked 9-1 and one in that scenario, but I think it does have to win out all the way through the bowl season too. I think even if it wins the Mountain West Championship and loses a bowl, I don't think it gets quite there. So uh, still a probability, a possibility uh, to be only the third team in school history to be ranked. But um, that's why that Hawaii loss stings, I think. It doesn't really hurt Nevada a ton in terms of getting to a Mountain West Championship game, but they would have been in the top 25 this week had they won that game. So got very, very close, but the the door has not completely shut on that. I I think the 8 o'clock kickoff was rough on fans because the – boosters that i get phone calls from and text messages from um guys i'm not going to sell anybody out but you could tell that there had been some early tailgating going on because this this game hurt fans a lot and and guys i i kept telling them there's so much nevada still has to play for this year if you win out you've got a chance to play in the la bowl i mean to play at that brand new stadium in southern california because a lot of the response i was getting from from fans was Oh, we're going back to Boise. We're going to end up in Arizona. Guys, there's plenty to play for. There's still a lot to play for. You got Fresno State this weekend. Get hyped up for a game like that. It's going to be a lot of fun at Mackey Stadium, and you can check it out on TV as well. Um, Moving on to uh, men's basketball at Mailbag Question. Uh, Did Nevada men's basketball look better than you expected, Chris? Yeah, uh, I think the offense is about what I expected. The defense has been really good, though. I, I mean, I've said that several times, but they're holding teams to the 30% shooting. That's 10th in the nation. Like, I don't think anybody would have said this defense was going to be that good. And I actually thought Nevada's defense was going to be better in its offense this year. I mean, there are definitely 
uh, a lot of players on this team who are above average defensive players. And then you add the length of KJ Himes and Warren Washington. So I thought this would be a really good defense, maybe a top 65, 75 defense in the nation, but I did not think top 10. So obviously they're going to play some more difficult teams moving forward. But if you're anything but completely enthused by how Nevada has started this season, um, then you're in the wrong because this is a team that was picked to finish six in the Mountain West. And right now, uh, they've been the second best team in the Mountain West. So they are certainly playing above what you would expect, given all of the new faces after losing their top four scorers and top five uh, players in terms of minute played in the offseason. So uh, definitely, I mean, they've, they've gotten an A for sure for how they've started the season. I got two things on that. I, I love the way that I've seen this team gel. I was wondering because we haven't been able to see practices. We haven't been able to see body language, how guys get along on the floor, off the floor, whatever. You haven't been able to see any of that. These guys like playing together. They like playing the game of basketball together. They know their roles. You're not seeing Warren Washington inside the paint having to force up shots. They're like, I have to do this. You're here to defend and rebound, man. Just, just do that. We'll have somebody else take care of these other roles. And Coach Alford had talked about that. And to segue into that, we can see that Coach Alford and Neil are two ridiculously talented coaches. They understand how to bring talent along. If you told me that Kane Milling, 14 months ago, we'd be playing this much and playing at this level. I'd have said, you're nuts. You're crazy. Husainovich comes out of nowhere, and, and this kid's not afraid to pull up top of the key and bang a three down when his team needs it. Zane Meeks has improved, and you see him with a double-double. They're one of his best games in a Nevada uniform. They're coached really well. This is going to be a fun basketball team to watch in a year that Coach Alford said, we're suffering growing pains this year. This 5-0 start, if they can get to that, I'll, say, I'll take that. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, fake Matt Mummy at Fake Coach Mummy in the mailbag pretty much almost every week. Will NSN be able to show any basketball games this season? Coach Mummy or Fake Matt Mummy, understand how to feed our egos. Uh, if we can talk about ourselves a little bit, we'll do it. Chris, we are working on this. I know you answered the question. I can add to it. Go ahead. Well, I mean, we still haven't even seen the national television schedule be uh, pre predicted yet. Uh, that's a really weird thing. I mean, usually like three months before the season starts, you have your national TV schedule. We're already into the season and CBS Sports and Fox have not selected their games so far uh, for the Mountain West season. So uh, there's obviously a pecking order. We fall behind them in the pecking order, but you could take it more on, I guess, what NSN is trying to do to get some games on the air, just like we were able to do last year. I can go as far as saying we're in discussions about it. We, we've talked about it. Nothing's on paper as of yet. It's who wants money to work for the rights? How do we produce it? Do we produce it as a, as a broadcast station, which is not ideal because that's a heavy lift financially. You got to find the bodies to do it in the middle of COVID. So what are the restrictions of us bringing a crew in? Um, you know, e even that feed that you've watched on the, on the, uh, on the stream, you know, it's, is that something that we can translate into a television Signal. I think I'm optimistic that we can try and try and shoot, try and do this as soon as something happens or does not happen. We'll let you know here on this show. But yes, big uh, Matt Mummy, it's certainly something we've, we've uh, definitely been uh, very interested in getting for our viewers. Uh, Tommy Lavelle at Realty Love NV. As a former resident of Gardnerville, Chris, are you yay or no on pecans? Pecan punch. I've only done it a couple of times, so I don't even remember. I think it's probably been a decade since I had a pecan punch. I don't remember like loving it, uh, but I would certainly drink one for sure. Uh, I like uh, my drinks. So uh, yeah, that's a yay for sure. Um, but it's not like at the top of my list. I don't have all the ingredients here uh, in my cabinet ready to go for a weekend or anything like that. 
Yeah, I don't even know what all goes into it. I know the first, I do remember the first time I had one. It was in Gardnerville at JT Basque Restaurant in Gardnerville. My first time going to a Basque restaurant, and I still remember it. And that had to be late mid 90s when I went in there with a couple of Carson boys. And, you know, it was just, yeah, we had to get a ride on the way home. But uh, first time I tasted it, I was like, whoa, I go, I'm only going to be able to have a couple of these. And then, you know, it, it turned out to be a fun night. And, just the the entire experience of Basque dining. I had never experienced that until I came up to the University of Nevada as a student. And to sit next to complete strangers at first was a little off-putting. But once you started talking and mingling, and oh, here's the oxtail. Oxtail, never happened, and it was delicious. And mingling like that, it really, you understand family dining and uh, and it was wonderful. And hopefully we're gonna be able to get back, get back to that uh, sometime sometime very very soon i've got the ingredients for you i looked yeah how about is it so we got some amber pecan grenadine brandy soda water and lemon peel to garnish that sounds fine that sounds good i i, that, think, I don't have amber pecan i'll have to go uh to total wine or something like that but i've got the rest of that i i think i think my aged palate would probably enjoy that very very much uh, do you have a, a go-to restaurant when you're back home um like we went to CVI so much, Carson Valley Inn, when I was young, uh, Katie's, there's a, a restaurant in there called Katie's. Uh, you could play your Kino, you know, we go after like, uh, you know, high school games and stuff like that. So that was always my favorite place to go. Uh, they had an awesome arcade there. They took it out uh, recently, but uh, Michael Pregram, the, the horse racing uh, thoroughbred owner, uh, has bought up a lot of the properties there, including CVI probably a decade ago and has really renovated those places. Uh, and they're really, really nice. So uh, CBI, Carson Valley Inn was always my place to go. There you go. If you want to see Chris Murray, go, you might see a, have a sighting of Chris Murray at the CBI if you, you stop by. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Clark County has made a decision when it comes to winter high school sports. Washoe County, not yet. We'll break into that next. Well, this came down late yesterday, and it was just the first shoe to drop that we have been kind of anticipating something like this to happen. Uh, the NIAA received uh, news uh, late yesterday, that was on Tuesday, that it had received notification from Clark County School District's activities and athletics that uh, they will not be participating in winter season sports, Chris. Uh, disappointing, yet not surprising to me. Yeah, so that would be girls and boys basketball, uh, girls and boys bowling, wrestling, flag football. Those would be the winter sports. So um, that applies to all of the Clark County member schools. Doesn't apply to private schools like Bishop Gorman and also doesn't uh, apply to Moapa Valley, which has been doing in-person learning. So that's the only CCSD member school that will continue forward with those sports. So basically wiped out most of the 5A, 4A, and 3A, the 1A and the 2A, a lot of private schools. So they should be able to continue, but um, you know, not surprising based on where we are right now. Uh, you know, if you're not doing in-person learning, the NIA has kind of said, well, you're probably not gonna be playing sports either because if it's not safe doing one, you're not safe doing the other. Um, and you also have seen Governor Steve Sislak has not given the okay yet on sports like basketball and wrestling to be played in the state. So, um, you know, even if these schools in Washoe County wanted to move forward uh, January 3rd, which is the start date for practice for winter sports, it wouldn't be able to do so in those two sports, they could do bowling um, just because of the governor directive at this moment. So, uh, you know, I think everybody's hope when they've rescheduled the entire prep season to start January 3rd and to have three shortened seasons 
going with winter and then fall and then spring was that the cases would be so much better that we could safely go out there and play sports. But unfortunately, the spikes are not in a situation, the positive tests are not in a situation, and even the state restrictions are not in a situation where it's feasible to even play these winter sports come January. So unless there's a drastic change, I would imagine Washoe County School District follows suit and doesn't play winter sports. But um, up until this point, Washoe County has not made that decision. So they are still planning as of now, January 3rd, to start basketball practice and wrestling practice. Say the other shoe drops and Washoe County decides that uh, they are not going to play winter sports. Could you see private schools, I don't know, joining together and trying to get something together. I mean, here in the North, you think of Minogue, obviously there's Excel Christian, there's Sage, Sage Ridge down in South Reno. I, I know I'm probably missing one or two. If, if you get those together, I, I, I just, just so kids can play safely. Yeah. I mean, I think they'd have to go out of state unless that directive uh, against contact sports, there are basically three different uh, levels of sports in terms of how much contact they make. And some of them have been cleared and the higher contact ones have not been cleared. Things like baseball and softball more likely to be played this year because they're not as high contact a sport, things like tennis. Um, I think, you know, it, it's, I would say that we're not going to see high school sports this year. Yeah. And that's a sad thing to say, but it's also a result of our community not doing a good enough job keeping the, the positive test down. And I know people want to blame either the NIA or Governor Sisolak or whoever makes the final decision to not play a sport, uh, Washoe County Health District, but it's not them making the decision. It's us with our actions leading to positive cases, forcing them to make that decision. Yeah. Uh, we basically have right now a parking garage at Renown that's being used as a hospital. Should we be playing high school? when our community is in that situation is the question that has to be asked. And right now the answer would be no. So unfortunately, I don't see winter sports being played. The next starting deadline for those fall sports would be February 13th. Now that's three weeks or three months out. So maybe the numbers are in a better position that we're able to play fall sports, which includes football. Um, but we just have not put ourselves in a good position up to now to be able to play sports. So um, we can complain about it, but unless we actually do all of the guidelines, wearing masks, cleaning hands, staying at our house, not having gatherings, even for Thanksgiving and Christmas, then we can't really complain about it because we're the ones with our actions leading to these cases that lead to the decisions that we've seen. Chris, bringing facts. Uh, and that's, that's that was the dreamer in me thinking, even back before college football started, hey, what if Nevada just plays teams within a bus ride of each other? So you play Sac State, you play Davis, you play Cal, you play whatever teams within a bus ride. And then I was thinking, okay, if the private schools in Clark or Washoe County can still play, do you then call Lassen high school? Do you call Truckee in North Tahoe and make it a 2020 league and try and do it? But ultimately you're right. It is, it is actions. It is stay safe and, and be disciplined and just do what, do what's right. But uh, it's a tough time because it, there are varying opinions that uh, are very, very much a broad brush when it comes to, COVID and how it's being handled. So uh, yeah, yeah, everybody's entitled to to how they feel about it. And I know a lot of people are frustrated. So very difficult decision in Clark County. And uh, we'll obviously keep a very close eye on the NIAA up here in the North and uh, let you know if there is a, a decision made and when that is made and what it is. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, she may not have just been a flash in the pan showing up and kicking in one game. Sarah Fuller wants to keep kicking at the power five level and you know what that power five school wants her to stay there we'll have that next you know she made uh, history over the weekend uh, by being the first 
female football player in a power five school, Sarah Fuller, who is a star soccer player. She's a goalie who literally can kick a soccer ball the length of the field. She's an incredible athlete. Kicked off for Vanderbilt to start the second half against Missouri on Saturday. And then there was, you know, all the speculation, Chris, is she going to come back? Was this just a publicity stunt? Some of these naysayers and Fuller talked to the team at halftime against Missouri. She asked to speak to the team and uh, their interim head football coach, because they fired Mason there at Vanderbilt, says she's practicing with the team and she will travel when they go to Athens to play Georgia this weekend. Yeah, so she'll be on the travel bus. The coach didn't necessarily say that she was going to be the one doing all of the kicks, but all of the specialists who were in the COVID protocol last week when she was the kickoff specialist are still on the COVID protocol. So unless they add a player randomly, then it seems like she's going to be the one who's taking all the kicks, field goals, extra points. Let's just hope that Vanderbilt does something on offense so we get to see an extra point or a field goal. Obviously, they were shut out 41-0 at Missouri, so all uh, Miss Fuller got was that kickoff. Uh, and hopefully at Georgia, they're probably not going to score a ton more points, but uh, let's at least get her a field goal opportunity or an extra point opportunity so she can uh, put her name in the scoring column. I did find it interesting that she did give that speech at halftime. Um, I don't know how most teams would react just generally to a kicker telling the team that they need to have more energy. Um, you know, I didn't play football, but kickers are – typically in a different category in terms of football players. If they're the ones who are stepping up and saying, we're not playing hard enough as a kicker, uh, I could see some people not taking that all that well, especially a kicker who joined the team that week. Uh, but it sounds like some of the players agreed with it. Some of the coaches agreed with it. She was basically just saying, you know, we need more energy on the sidelines. We need to be excited. We need to be there for our teammates. We need to be pumping them up. Like those are all good messages. It's just, I would be curious to actually have been in that locker room uh, that game in the next couple of days to see what the response would have been to a kicker, uh, a player who had been on the team for a week, um, you know, trying to send that message. And she came from a championship team on the soccer team. So she knows what a winning culture is. And clearly Vanderbilt does not have that winning culture at 0 8 this year. So maybe they should be listening to her. I just don't know what the reaction would have been. I was thinking about that exact same thing, Chris, is that, okay, a kicker and she just joined you from the soccer team and she's lecturing you on energy on the sideline. She's a champion. She knows how to win. You're 0 and 8. You're getting your butts kicked on national television. You can't even cross the 50 half the time. If I'm Vanderbilt, you need to listen to her because she knows how to win. But if you're Vanderbilt, open the offense up. You have nothing, zero, zilch, nada. You've lost your coach. You're 0-8. You're one of the worst teams in the country. Open the offense up. Get her within 30 yards and let her kick a field goal. Let her pop a 35-yard field goal. I would love to see that. I will be watching this Georgia game on Saturday just because I want to see if this team reacts. You know, these are all players. No matter if you're the worst team, you're the worst college football team in the country, you're still some of the best high school players that ever came out of your high school. Now, don't get me wrong. This is an SEC team. This is a team that would stomp through a lot of teams in the Mountain West Conference without even blinking it out. I'm not going to disrespect Vanderbilt that way. But at the same time, these are te- these are guys that were champions beforehand. Be a champion again. I know you're 0-8. I know it's COVID. But, you know, maybe it's that message.